better pray. Jesus, sometimes it's just difficult to, to stay on track because you go to one place in the scripture and it jumps at you and then you go to another place and it jumps at you and it's sometimes difficult to, to stay on track because there are so many different things that uh, touch our hearts and touch our spirits and, and cause us to want to know you more and to, to be so so ashamed Lord that we're not walking closer with you than we are and that we don't believe all that the scriptures have to tell us so I just pray that you would help us this morning to, to stay on track and to to say the things that are pleasing to you and to just open our understanding in a greater way than it is right now. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, let me just start with a place I had no intention of starting, just very briefly. In the 17th chapter of Matthew, um, that's the transfiguration of Jesus. And when they come down from the mountain of transfiguration, three disciples are up on the mountain with Jesus and the other nine presumably are at the bottom of the mountain. And when they get down to the bottom of the mountain, this man comes up to Jesus and tells him that his son is demon-possessed, needs to be healed. And he says, I went to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. And Jesus tells the other nine disciples, he says, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And it says, Jesus rebuked the demon. The demon came out of the boy and the boy was cured at once. And the disciples said, why couldn't we drive out this demon? And Jesus says, because of the littleness of your faith, or, but for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. He said, because of the littleness, because of the smallness of your faith, you couldn't do it. But if you've got a little faith, you can do it. Seems to be contradictory, doesn't it? You've got a little faith, and you can't do it. But if you had small faith, you could do it. What in the world is he talking about? It seems like one of the things that he's saying has to do with perseverance. If you believe something and it doesn't happen at once, you give up. That's little faith. It's really faith in a formula. It's faith in the way you've always done it, and it hasn't worked, so I quit. But if you've got small faith, it never gives up. It perseveres. It knows what the Scripture says. It believes Scripture. It believes God. And it keeps on going. And to me, that, that just really hit my heart. There's a lot of difference between little faith and small faith. Little faith is really unbelieving faith. It doesn't persevere. It gives up. What I'd like to do is start off with some, in order to sort of lay a background, I want to read some various scriptures. So I'm going to skip around to a couple of different places. I'm going to start off in the 145th Psalm. 
And I'm going to read starting in verse 8. And the reason I want to do this is I want to, I want us to see if we can't grasp anew, again, a few facts about God. And it says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all of his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord's righteous in all of his ways. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Now this has got to do with what I'm going to get to in a minute. So I want you to understand that the Lord is righteous in all of his ways. He's near to all that call on him. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and he will save them. Now this is what it says. Now we got to get to the point that do we believe scripture or don't we believe scripture? We can't believe scripture when it suits us and not believe it when it doesn't. We can't believe scripture when we're in a group of people that also believe scripture. But when we're around a, a bunch of people that don't believe scripture and they ask us questions that are difficult questions, are we going to start doubting and back off and say, well, by golly, he's right. I, I wonder about that. What does scripture say? It either is or it isn't. It's not in between. Now, after that soliloquy, (laughs) Psalm 103. Just one verse. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter and the 17th verse. Says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Jesus told Thomas in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father through me. 
in the 45th chapter of Isaiah, the 5th verse, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there's no God. And in the book of Acts, in the 17th chapter, Paul is speaking in the marketplace of Athens. And he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And there are other scriptures that I had down, but for time constraints, I'll just avoid them for right now or put them aside. I was reading an article from a sports writer in Seattle. And he was writing about Russell Wilson. And he's a quarterback for a football team that's getting ready to play in this big football game tonight. But anyway, he was commenting about Russell Wilson and he was talking about what a fine person he was. How he was confident, but he wasn't arrogant. How he um, was a strong in his Christian faith. And then he said, but not in your face like Tim Tebow. And I was sitting there thinking, when was Tim Tebow ever in your face? But it just sort of shows where he was coming from. He talked about the people of Seattle loved Russell Wilson because he was so genuine, that he was so kind about his continuing visits to the Children's Hospital in Seattle where he would go in week after week, not just once or twice like a lot of athletes did, and then they quit and never went back. But he would go in and he would visit the children, and he would talk to their parents, and he would ask them if it was okay to pray with them, and he would pray with their parents. And he went back week after week after week. He said Wilson was the kind of person that people wanted to invite to their house to have dinner with him. That was the kind of man he was. You wanted him to be with you and your family. Then he said, but the thing that he was hesitant about that he wasn't sure he really liked very much, <clears throat> that his concern was with, was with Wilson's close friendship with, this, with his pastor in this Seattle megachurch. Because this pastor said all non-Christians were going to hell. So everything about Wilson was wonderful except things like that. To pile around with people that would say what the Bible says is the truth. There's a difference between religion and biblical theology. Theology, true theology, is the study of the God of the Bible. Religion, mostly, is the trappings of man. The things they build up to satisfy themselves. Whether it's music, whether it's different ways to attract people, everything that puts the interest of man ahead of the interest of God. There's a lot of difference between religion, the way it's talked about, the way it's understood, and true theology. 
You know, a couple of years ago, in, in the BSF class that I'm in, there was a man that um, basically dropped out of BSF for a while. We were in the book of Isaiah at the time. And his problem was with the God that he saw portrayed in the book of Isaiah. And if you read Isaiah, you're going to see a lot of things where God <coughs> God's wrath is poured out on Egypt, or it's poured out on Moab, or it's poured out on Ethiopia, all these different countries. And it's poured out on Israel. And it's poured out on Israel mainly from Assyria, the most ungodly nation of that era, the most powerful and the most ungodly nation. And he couldn't understand how a God of love and peace and mercy would talk about all these awful things that were going to happen to the people, to his own people, and to these other people. And he just couldn't take it after a while, and he left. And it's because his idea of God was different than what Scripture says. He had, fit, he had basically constructed his own God. It was an idol. It wasn't the true God. It wasn't a picture of who God is. It had nothing to do with God's justice, with God's wrath, with his anger against wickedness. It was just supposed to be a gentle, peaceful, loving God that overlooked sin and never called people into question. How could a loving God do that, he thought. And it happens because when we have a picture of God that's different from the picture that Scripture gives us. God in Scripture commands us to repent of our sin and put away our idols and believe what He says, not what we wish He said. And one of the latest questions that I seem to have run into is not from people that are not Christians, not that they don't believe but they're bewildered and baffled on how to answer people when they present certain questions to them. And the question lately has been, what about the people that have never heard about Jesus? Are they lost? How is that fair? That always comes back to, is that fair? We've got our definition of fair, and if God doesn't measure up to our definition of fair, then there's something wrong with God. Nothing wrong with us, there's something wrong with God. And we don't know Scripture. And if we do, we don't believe it. Or we believe it until the rubber hits the road. And then we back up. We're afraid to put our foot one foot ahead of the other. It's too difficult for us. So what does Scripture say about that? There are some questions that don't have simple answers. And this is one of them. There's not a simple answer. But there's an answer. The problem is it's an answer we don't like very much. So what does the scripture say? First of all, if the heathen, the pagans, the unbelievers, if they're really not lost, then we've got a bunch of teachings from Jesus that we ought to just take and throw out the window because they don't mean what he said. 
John 3.16 has absolutely no meaning at all if the heathen are not lost, if the unbelieving people are not lost. In Luke 24, it says, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If people without Christ aren't lost, then we need to take these scriptures out of the Bible because they don't have any meaning. Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He told his disciples, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Why pay attention to these verses if the heathen are not lost? If pagans don't need Jesus for salvation, then we don't either. And if we need Jesus, then they need Jesus too. Scripture is plain. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. And in 1 Timothy it says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No other religion leads to God. The sin that God judged Israel for most severely was in combining what he had taught them, worship of the true God with other religions. It was called idolatry. And it was the most severe judgment that God brought upon Israel. God utterly rejects anything that associates heathen religion and practices with his name. Yet even when we have these scriptures, we're we're uneasy when people ask us questions like this. And when people ask us about the fate of those who have never heard the name of Jesus, we back off a little, and always again, the question of fairness crops up. And probably the most important part of Scripture to go to when we're concerned about this is the first chapter of Romans. The thrust of the book of Romans is to tell us what the good news is. The redemption that God has provided for people in Jesus. About His glory, about His grace. But Paul doesn't get very far in the first chapter of Romans before he declares that God's wrath is declared from heaven and his anger is against humanity that has become ungodly and unrighteous. God is angry against wickedness. He's not angry with innocent people. He's angry with guilty people. And the reason that they're guilty, the reason they're evil is because of their rejection of God's self-revelation. 
Paul doesn't say that God has revealed himself to the Jews and they rejected him. He says God has revealed himself to everybody in the world. Everybody on the planet and they have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Every nation, every person. Jesus is sent into a world that's lost. That's already on the way to hell. For rejecting God who has revealed himself to them. No one's going to be able to say, I, don't, I didn't know you existed. Because God says that he's revealed himself plainly. The main point for Romans 118 through 320, so halfway through the first chapter through almost to the end of the third chapter, is that unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that's true of the Gentiles. It's true of good moral people. It's true for the Jews. It's true for all people. Not just one group. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Asking how an unbeliever who has never heard the name of Jesus can be sentenced to hell is like asking how can a man be held responsible for his sin? How could the Philistines in the Old Testament be held responsible? After all, they didn't have the Old Testament law. How could God drown the entire Egyptian army? How could he slay all the firstborn in the land of Egypt? How could God wipe out whole cities of the Canaanites? How could he destroy Sodom and Gomorrah under tons of brimstone? How could God judge these people if no one even told them the truth? How can they be responsible? And again, God tells us in Romans 1, they had revelation. They knew the truth of God. God made it evident to them. They've seen his eternal power and his divine nature, and they rejected it. Instead, they exchanged the glory of God for idols. The Canaanites did it, the Philistines did it, the Egyptians, they all knew the truth of God. God's natural revelation of himself is not obscure and it's not selective. It's not seen by just the specially gifted. It be, can be clearly seen by everyone. Everyone could see the same thing that David saw. When he said the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Uh, the U.S. Museum of Natural History has determined that there are at least 10 million species of insects, including some 2,500 varieties of ants. There are about 5 billion birds in the United States. And some of the species can fly 500 miles nonstop across the Gulf of Mexico. 
to get where they want to go. Mallard ducks can fly 60 miles an hour. Eagles, 100 miles an hour. And falcons can dive at a speed of up to 180 miles an hour. The human heart is about the size of an adult person's hand. And it weighs about a half a pound. It can do enough work in 12 hours to lift 65 tons one inch above the ground. A water molecule. Three atoms. But if all the molecules in one drop of water were the size of a grain of sand, they could make a road one foot thick and a half a mile wide that would stretch from L.A. to New York. You have to have a mind that's fully closed to the truth. Not to be able to see all of the wonders in nature that God has created and turn away from them. You have to know that there is a master designer of the universe. He reveals himself in the stars and in nature and everything that's created. It didn't create itself. Even a pagan, even an unbeliever, should be able to discern that the person that made the eye and the ear can hear and see himself. That's what it says. It says, he who has planted the eye, does he not, <clears throat> or the, the, the ear, does he not hear? He who has formed the eye, does he not see? Men are judged and sent to hell not because they don't live up to the light in the universe, but because ultimately the rejection of the light that God shows in the universe leads them to reject Jesus. If they reject what God has shown them in his creation, they end up rejecting Jesus because if they won't believe what God has shown them in general revelation they're not going to believe anything else. It says the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus said concerning sin because they do not believe in me. But if a person lives up to the light of the revelation that he has, God will provide for him hearing the gospel by some other means or another. He reaches out in his sovereign grace to sinful man. As I live, declares the God through Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. God does not desire any to perish, but to come to repentance. He will give his elect. I realize we're getting into another tough area, but he will give his elect the privilege of hearing the gospel and he will bring them to himself. This is what scripture says. Now we make up our mind to believe it and live it. Or we can waffle. 
But if we don't love God, we're going to inevitably love idols. There's no middle ground. That's the witness of Scripture, and it's the witness of history. And the more we reject the revelation that God has given of Himself, the more we sink into depravity. That's the path of mankind. It's the path of societies. No matter how well societies start, they always end up in a pit when they reject the self-revelation of God. Verse 28 in Romans 1 says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. You don't believe, God gives you over. He gives you over to your unbelief. 1 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In Hosea 4, it says Ephraim, and Ephraim's a northern kingdom of Israel, says Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Means God gave him over. Psalms 81 says, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own desires devices. In Matthew 15, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind and a blind man and if a blind man guides a blind man both will fall into a pit. Let them alone. He gave them over. Every orthodox Christian confesses that he believes in the sovereignty of God. The problem comes when you get into specifics. Is God suffer? Is God sovereign in suffering? Is He sovereign in election? Do we believe the Scriptures some of the time or all the time? Do I believe what the Scriptures say or do I believe what I want the Scriptures to say? On the Mount of Transfiguration, there were six people Jesus, the three disciples, James, Peter, John, and Moses and Elijah. God spoke out of heaven. As Jesus' glory was revealed, and God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So the question is, are we going to listen to him, to the scriptures that he says cannot be broken, or are we not? When it comes to things that are difficult, or things that offend our human sensibilities, our human thinking, we need to ask, what do scriptures say? Not to, not what do I wish they said. And the conclusion that I arrive at determines whether I believe God is sovereign, whether I believe that God is good, whether I believe that all that he does serves his purpose and ultimately brings him glory. And nothing else really matters if we can't come to the right conclusion about that.
Lord, help us to to understand your word and to to love it. And <clears throat> I know that there are no easy answers to our human mind sometimes. But I do know that we need to understand what your scriptures say and believe it and not go back off from it because it's difficult or confusing or other than what we would like it to be. So I just pray that you would touch our hearts and cause us to know you more and to love you with all that's within us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.